Genesis chapter 41, Genesis chapter 41, verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. Verse 27, then the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout the land. Somebody said great plenty. Wouldn't it be great if your life was filled with great plenty? I, I cannot just get an amen. I need seven years. I need more than seven years, but I'll take seven years of great plenty. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land, so the plenty will not not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. I'm excited to preach this one. I've got a message for you today called Living Fact in skinny times, living fat in skinny. <laughs> it's going to be a fun day. Come on, let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful that you are in this place. God, you're here to speak, to bring hope, to bring wisdom, to bring direction. God, I pray that you take this one message, God, that you divide it amongst thousands of people and make it exactly what each and every one of us need in our lives. We're grateful. We're thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, somebody shout amen and amen and amen. Today, we are concluding a series that we've been in over the last three weeks called It's Not a Game. Somebody say, It's Not a Game talking about managing our finances according to God's word. We started off the first week talking about close to 70% of people are stressed out when it comes to finances. And you've got to know if there's an area that is causing you stress and anxiety, it's an area that God's word has wisdom and direction and purpose for. Last week, we, last week was a heavy one. Last week was a little tight. It was right, but it was just like, oh my gosh, and I wish it was easier this week. It's not, but it's still going to be good. We talked last week about honoring God with the first tithing. And I just want to go a moment and say, so many of you have taken that step You've started a time. Come on, give yourselves a hand for that. I am... I'm so grateful and I'm so excited that you're trusting God in this area. And I challenge you, don't just tithe and forget about it. Maybe you've been tithing for 30 plus years. Do it with faith, expecting that God is going to respond to his word and throw open the windows of heaven and pour out not just money, but a blessing. Don't tell him how to bless you. He'll tell you how he's going to bless you. But look for a response to your faith. As we're concluding this series today, we're unpacking this passage in Genesis chapter 41. And if you're familiar with this story, or maybe you're not, it's following this young man by the name of Joseph. Joseph had a jacked up family. He had 11 older brothers, and they decided they didn't like him because he was dad's favorite, and they sold him into slavery. This is not the message, but if God be for you, it does not matter who's against you. It doesn't matter who talks about you. It doesn't matter who tries to set you up. It doesn't matter who tries to... It doesn't even matter the setbacks in your life. Even the setbacks turn into a set up by the hand of God. Everywhere Joseph went, he prospered. He ended up as a slave in one house and became the ruler of that house. Then somebody lied on him and he ended up in prison and became the... Can you imagine being a prisoner and becoming the ruler of that prisoner. I'm the warden of the prison. I also got 12 more years left on my sentence, but it's a different story for a different day. 
Well, one day, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, the most powerful and wealthy nation in the time, had a dream, and there was nobody in the entire kingdom that can interpret Pharaoh's dream. And somebody said, I remember there's this Hebrew prisoner who is great at interpreting dreams. If we go get him, he can give us wisdom and he can give us direction. My prayer, once again, not the message, but my prayer is that when the world has the problem, the church would have the solution and they would know, I know a believer, I know where to go to get the answer to what I need. So they bring Joseph out of the prison. And and, and here's the thought that crossed my mind. The dream was Pharaoh saw five fat cows and then five, I mean, seven skinny cows, seven fat cows, seven skinny cows. And he said the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows. That's a really bad horror movie. First of all, I think nobody ever thought about that. That's pretty nasty. But he said the seven scrawny cows ate the seven fat cows. But when they ate them, they were still scrawny afterwards. And then there was seven withered stalks of wheat and it consumed the healthy stalks of wheat, but were still withered and dying. And Pharaoh said, I have nobody to interpret this dream for me. They bring Joseph, they shave him, they clean him up. Joseph said, that's a simple dream. And I like what he said. He said, by the way, I don't interpret dreams but I know the one who does. God is going to give me the wisdom for this. Not the message yet, but in your moment of success, don't you dare take credit for the supernatural hand of God on your life. Joseph said, I don't interpret dreams, but I know the one who does, and he's going to give me the interpretation. And he said, oh, this dream is simple. What God is saying is there's going to be seven fat years of abundance, followed by seven years of famine. And because God did it twice, first with the cows, then with the wheat, he said, God has made up his mind. You're not changing it. This is what's going to come to pass. You've got to read it on your own time. I love what Joseph did. After interpreting the dream, he didn't just interpret, he gave a solution. He said, Pharaoh, you need to find somebody who's wise and reliable, who can oversee the produce of the land for the seven fat years and prepare you for the seven years of famine. And I like what Joseph said. And he said, I may know a guy. I've got somebody in mind that can actually do this for you. Here's the whole thought of this passage. Every time I've heard this passage preached, I've always heard it preached in the context of overnight miracles. That it doesn't matter what situation you're in. Joseph went to sleep in the prison and he woke up in the palace. You ever ever heard that preach before? That that God can change your situation in a moment. And yes, you can preach this from this passage. But you know what I never hear preached from this passage? That an entire nation was able to avoid devastation and bankruptcy because God gave an economic strategy through a dream. Think about this. This would be akin to God giving the president a dream that the 08 uh, financial crisis, the housing crisis, telling him seven years before it was going to come. Or, or, or the tech bubble burst back in 2000, giving the president a dream seven years before it happened. And not just that, having somebody on death row life sentence coming out of prison and interpreting for the president exactly what was going to This was a big deal. Here's what God said. He said, hey, there's going to be seven fat years. And if you prep for the famine in the fat years... You can actually thrive when others are struggling. Here's the last financial principle that we're going to talk about today. Stewardship. What's stewardship? And here's the financial principle that in everybody's life, there are going to be seasons where you have more than enough. There's going to be fat years of your life. And the key in the fat years is don't eat all the food because there's going to be seven skinny years. 
I'm waiting for my seven fat years. I haven't had them yet. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. They say when I turn 40, my metabolism will slow down and it hasn't yet. But anyway, if I make sure I don't eat everything I earn in the fat years, I can actually thrive in this. Here's what the Bible guarantees. Everybody has skinny times. Everybody's going to have a time and season in life where you're just not thriving financially. Here's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. It says, he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I was thinking about the prophetess, Mary J. Blige. She said, nobody loves the rain. Can't stand it. <laughs> Y'all read the same Bible I did. <laughs> The apostle Ja Rule. Anyway, here's what the Bible says, that it's going to rain. So you might as well have an umbrella. There's going to be seasons of your life where you have more than enough. And there's going to be seasons of your life where things are just tight. And if you prepare in the more than enough seasons, you can actually thrive in the tight seasons. Statistics show that people hit their earning peak somewhere between the ages of 40 and 60. That 40 to 60 is going to be the years where you are most likely, sometimes for some people it's a little bit earlier, for other people it's a little bit later, but that 40 to 60 year old window is when you hit your earning peak, your earning potential. And, and, and here's what you've got to know. If 40 to 60 is my earning peak and my earning potential, then the, si the, 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 the sides are going to be years that are maybe a little bit skinnier. For example, after 60, as you begin to close in on retirement, and specifically in retirement, chances are your income will be less or nothing in terms of working and earned income because I've retired and I'm no longer generating an income from its skinny times. Anybody remember after graduating high school? Maybe you went to college and you were skinny. Why? Because oodles and noodles is all you could afford because it was skinny time. I, I, I was traveling this week uh, with, with uh, our campus pastor in Baltimore, and we actually went to his college town. And uh, we were driving around, and he was literally saying, man, I remember back in college, I wish I could eat at a restaurant like this. I, I would just look in the window at all the people in there. <laughs> it was skinny it was skinny. There's some natural skinny times in our lives that, that are actually good skinny times. Like having your first child and second and third and maybe fourth. Not for me, but maybe for you. Child care cost. <laughs> and nobody said amen. <laughs> it's just going to be a season where you are not balling out of control because it is a mortgage payment to have somebody watch a newborn for the first seven, eight, nine months or whatever it may be. There's some natural skinny times. There's also some unnatural skinny times, but that are often inevitable, like sickness. We don't plan it, but it comes. And sometimes you're in a season where I can't work for one week, two weeks, three months, four months, or whatever it may be. And I'm not quite sure when that skinny time is going to come. Sometimes there's skinny times like layoffs or, 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 or I'm in between jobs or whatever. And I didn't plan for this to be a part of my life, but it is. And here's the thought. Here's something I'd like to submit. Maybe some of our financial stress is not based on the fact that we don't have enough, but it's based on the fact that when we did have enough, we didn't plan for the skinny times. What the Bible is saying is, hey, if you have a plan and you're intentional about what you have, you can actually thrive when others are struggling. Because Egypt had a plan, they knew the famine were coming, and they actually stored up during the seasons of abundance. Watch this. Everybody had to come to Egypt to actually buy food during the famine, and they increased their wealth when everybody else was trying to survive. Here's one of the things, and ah, 
this is going to be one of those messages that really kind of get to people because depending on your political view and how the world would or should work, you kind of get a little bit of, uh, I don't think the have should have, and I don't think the have not should have not, and it's not fair. Can I just help you for a second? Life ain't fair. So if you want life to be fair, go read the book about utopian societies and and leave it in the book because that's not how real. Here's what happens in almost every major economic crisis in the world. Some people really struggle and some people really thrive. Whenever there's an economic crisis, there's rarely in the middle. You remember 08, the whole housing crisis bubble that, that a whole bunch of people foreclosed on, lost their house, housing value went all the way down. You know what a whole bunch of people started doing that had cash in the bank? Buying houses for like half the price. And guess what? The value came back. And four or five years later, what they bought for one price was now double or maybe even triple the value. Huh? Because in skinny times, they had enough saved to be able to thrive off of those moments. So here's what Pharaoh said. He said, Joseph, here's what I need you to do. I need you to manage all that I have during the seasons of abundance. So when famine comes, we'll be ready. Now, I'm not going to lose you. We're going to talk about budgeting. We're going to talk about investing and all that other good stuff. And your eyes are not going to roll back into your head. You're going to be locked in and you're going to be focused. But before we do any of that, we've got to catch this principle. In those years of abundance, as Joseph was storing grain, as he was stocking piles away, as he was preparing for the seasons of famine, whose grain was he storing away? No, it's not a rhetorical question. You can ask me, who, who, who's, whose grain was he storing away? Pharaoh's. Was it his? Did he own it? Did it belong to him? What was he doing? He was managing or stewarding it for someone else. If you don't get any rest of this message, get this principle. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. Here is a financial biblical principle that will transform the way you manage money. Pastor, I want to hear you preach about budgets. I've tried it. It doesn't work for me. I can't get out of this. Calm. Calm down. Catch this first. Do I believe I'm an owner or do I believe I'm a steward? Do I believe everything in my bank account belongs to me? Or do I believe that everything in, not the 10% tithe, the 100% that's in my bank, do I believe that it's mine or do believe that God gave it to me to steward, to manage for my children's children, for my family's need, for the kingdom of God, and to impact this world that he's placed me in. You've got to catch this, because if it's my money, I can be frivolous with it. If my money, I can be wasteful. I could th- But when as a believer, I understand everything that I have belongs to the Lord, and he has entrusted me to be a steward of it. Hear me. It changes everything. <laughs> I'm having fun. We think, especially after last week's message, that the first 10% belongs to God, and the other 90% belongs to me. Newsflash, 100% belongs to God and nothing belongs to you. He just lets you keep the 90% to steward on his behalf. And, And here's what I'm saying. If we truly believe that, it will give us the sober judgment that we need to manage all that we have. Three quick thoughts, three quick thoughts. The first one is this, count your chickens. Yeah, you ever, I don't know why. I feel like I hung out with a whole lot of old people growing up. You ever heard this phrase, don't count your chickens before they're hatched? What, what, what is that talking about? It's saying, hey, make sure and don't spend your bonus check till it hits your account. 
I've, I've never done that. I'm talking about you people. You, you ever, you ever, you, your boss told you you're getting a raise and it kicks in in two weeks and you were like, okay, I'm going to go train my car in because now I can afford it and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And you're spending the money before it ever even comes. They're saying, hey, don't spend it until you have it. Because until you have it, you're not quite sure if it's going. Somebody say, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Can I tell you something, though? Count your chickens after they're hatched. We took that so seriously, we don't count our chickens. Pastor, what are you talking about? I don't even have chicken. I'm a vegetarian. Well, God can deliver you, first of all. Second of all, pray for me. What am I saying? It's our responsibility to know what we have. Um, that's just a very simple question. Um, your last paycheck that you just got, 15th, 1st, whatever, 30th, where did it go? <laughs> Somebody said child care. <laughs> All of it? No, 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 seriously. No, seriously. Do you know where your check went? Some of you do, some of you don't. It's so funny because when we get our W-2 at the end of the year, I look at mine like, no way. No way. Run me my money. This is, this, this is not what came in this year. Okay, where, where did it go? Okay, 10% went to God as of last week. Bless God. You know, I, I paid a mortgage, uh, paid the rent, bought some food, had to get some clothes for the kids, put gas in the car. Pastor, that's where it went. Okay, how much went to food? How much did you put in the gas? You probably know what your rent payment is or your mortgage payment is, but how much did you... Here, here's what I'm saying. For so many of us, we spend with no intentionality. We actually don't know where our money is going. We just know I work hard, it comes in, and it goes out faster than it came in, and I'm not quite sure what to do next. Here's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 14, verse 28. It says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first getting estimates and then checking to see if he has enough money to pay the bills? Otherwise, he might complete only the foundation before running out of funds. And then how, look what the Bible says, how everyone laugh at. Here's what the Bible says. It says, don't get started until you have a plan. It says, you actually need to know what's going to come in. You actually need to know how much your life is going to cost and have a plan for it. Or the Bible's words, not mine. You're going to embarrass yourself. You're going you gonna, you gonna kind of get your neck out there. What, what, I got all these like colloquialism. You're going to get out ahead of your skis. <laughs> what does that mean? You're going to go tumbling down that hill. And here's the mindset that some of us have. We think budgeting is for broke people. We think the people that have to write out a budget are the people that don't have a lot of resources, and that's why they've got to pay that much attention. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says a true disciple budgets. It says somebody who's a follower of God is someone who is intentional about the resources they have. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 23 says this, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds for riches are not, slow down Stephen, for riches are not forever. Nor does a crown endure to all generations. God said, it doesn't matter how much you have. It's not going to come in like that forever. And if you're not intentional when it's coming in, you're going to find yourself embarrassed when it stops. Oh, you better believe that, that Joseph was counting every kernel of grain that came in that storehouse. He said, I've got to make sure I know exactly how much I have so I know how far into this family we can make it as a nation. I need a budget. What, what's a budget? It is you writing down on paper, Excel. There's apps that'll do it for you. How much money is coming in and where every single penny is going. 
I bring in this amount, 10% goes to God. Our rent payment is this, then BGE is this, and then food for this month is this, and then this, and then that, and that. And here's how much I have left at the end to throw towards debt, to save for retirement, to put in an account. I need a plan. And let me just kind of get up in your business. You need to do it once a month. At minimum, you need to have a family finance meeting, you and your spouse, or you and you, and say, hey, what we doing next month, not afterwards, before, what are we doing next month, and where is it going to go? I remember somebody taught me and Zai this when we first got married, and y'all, our financial meetings, um, they, were, they were a little hairy. They were a little, they were, because, I mean, especially when Zoe came, there's no way baby food costs that much. There is no way you're going to have more money for that baby's food than for my sneaker budget. It just can't. God's still working on me. I remember, y'all got to pray for me. God's still working on me. I'm a lot better than I used to be, but I hate where I want to be. There was one financial budget where Zai said, I'm not showing up. You do it. I said, bet. You know what happened? The entire clothing budget went into the golf category. She showed it next month. Where's my clothes budget? Well, I'll tell you this though, she never missed another budget meeting again. And, you, and, and here's what happens. We get in mind, I'm not a numbers person. I'm going to let my spouse do it if I'm married or whatever it may be. And yes, your spouse can put the numbers together. There are numbers people and non-numbers people. They can, but you've got to sit down and know where everything is going. And hear me, you control freaks. Everybody gets a say. It's not, I make the most money, so I determine where it goes. Come on now. I thought the two became, and since I'm having fun, the two became one. How come your account ain't one? Pastor, you're meddling. I know, but it's my job. No, seriously. You trust them to raise your children, but you don't trust them with your money. It sounds well, that's, that's their check, and that's their check, and we split the mortgage down the middle, and they pay for them bills, and I pay for my bills, and yeah, that's how roommates operate, not people that say we were brought together by God to accomplish something together that we cannot accomplish by ourselves. Pastor, you're meddling. I know, but it's my job. Pastor, we just can't work on money together. It makes us fight. You know what it does? It makes you work on your marriage. It makes you work through some issues. Well, well, they're frivolous and they waste everything. Well, they need to stop. And they're not going to until we come together and actually become the unit that God created marriage to be. Pastor, you're meddling. I know, but it's my job. And here's what we don't understand. And I referenced it last week. You, you rarely marry someone who's exactly like you. Oftentimes, you marry somebody who is the exact opposite of you. Most couples, there's a saver and there's a spender. Can I help you out a little bit? The saver is no fun, and they save too much. Savers, chill out. Life and life more abundantly. The spenders spend too much, and they have too much fun. Hey, us spenders, chill out. We're going to bankrupt this whole family, okay? We need to come. And here's what God does. He puts two different people with two different perspectives to balance each other out. And when we're living in one home but living two different lives, we're missing the benefit and the beauty of the partner that God put us with. Pastor, you're meddling. I know, but I'm going on to point number two. All right, here we go. Here we go. Next thing is this. Keep your cloak. Keep your, keep your, keep your cloak. Here's the Bible. It says Exodus chapter 22, verse 26. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has what else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. The, the, the Bible days were very similar to today, that you were able to take out a loan. You were able to borrow money from another person. But in order to borrow money, they needed collateral. 
What is collateral? It is the item that they will snatch from under your foot if you miss a payment. Make sense? So that car that you have a car payment on, I've got bad news, it's not yours. It's the bank's. They're allowing you to drive it as long as you continue to make that payment. What happens if you don't make the payment? Some of you know because you started parking yours in a garage where they couldn't find it. <laughs> Pastor, you're meddling. I need to calm down. What? They will take it back. Well, here's what would happen. In the Bible days, there would be people who were so poor, they had nothing for collateral. They couldn't give a goat, couldn't give a cow. They couldn't give anything. And here's what the lender would say. Give me your jacket. And I'll hold on to your jacket until you repay this debt. The only thing is someone's cloak in the Bible was a little bit different than a jacket in 2023. Your cloak in the Bible represented your social status in the community. Here's what it would be equivalent to. It would be equivalent to me giving my ordination documents as collateral for a debt. So I'm going to borrow a loan to get a car. I can't have class. So I'm going to give you my ordination documents. So technically, until you give this back, I'm no longer a pastor. Wow. Somebody say preach it. preach it. The Bible says debt makes you lose your identity. The Bible says that when I owe somebody something, I have given away my ability to make decisions for myself. And, and we live in a society that glorifies debt. And if you're afraid of debt, you're not sophisticated and you're not making your money work for you and all these fancy terms that they use to try to make you feel dumb. Well, here's what God said in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. The Bible says that when I'm in debt, I no longer have the ability to make my own decisions. But Bank of America decides if I get to move or not. Truist gets to decide if I get to go on this vacation or not, or whatever it may be. I've given away my ability to make decisions. Here's what happened in Egypt. Because they saved during fat times and had and during the famine, other countries started to come to them. Said, hey, we need some. So Pharaoh said, hey, we'll sell it to you. The famine lasts seven years. Their money only lasted two. So after the second year, they said, I can't afford to buy it anymore. What can we do? And Pharaoh said, give me all of your animals and give me all of your land. That lasted for two years. Watch what it says in Genesis chapter 27, verse 18. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord has all of our herds and livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes? Okay, they're a little dramatic. Okay, calm down, guys. We're going to die. Both we and our land, watch this, by us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die. That the land may not be desolate. They voluntarily signed up for servitude. Because their borrowing had led them to a place where they had no other options. They borrowed to stay alive. We borrow to drive a nicer car. They borrow to stay alive. We borrow because I'm exhausted and I deserve a weekend in Cancun. Pastor, you're meddling. I know, but it's my job. And this is not to beat you up. This is not to condemn you. I, I remember when me, me and PZ first got married. Um, I, I, I married a good woman. She came into our marriage with like $3,000 of debt. I'm like, this is a good woman. I could get down with this. And I'm really grateful she didn't have a lot of debt because I made up for the both of us. <laughs> I 
had my debt. I had my student loan debt. I had car debt. I had all this. Actually, she had $3,000, and then she had a car loan on, on a car. And we sat down, and we started going through all the Dave Ramsey stuff and Financial Peace University. And we said, babe, I think that if we actually buckled down and started paying off of this debt and all that, we can get out of debt. And we started doing the numbers, and we started doing the calculation. And we said, oh, it's going to take us like nine years at this rate. How can we accelerate this? We said, okay, let's sell a car. We don't have any kids. We work at the same place. I think we can manage on one car. So we sold one car, which got rid of one debt, and then just started hammering at the rest of our. Do you know how embarrassing it is to be the senior pastor of a church and ask your members for a ride? If she had the car and I had to go to something, I'm calling some, hey, you are, you know, you ain't never bummed a ride. You don't know how to do this. You don't know how to do this. You, you got to act like you got a car, even though you don't. Hey, are you headed over to such and such? Yeah. You want to ride together? Cool. Should I meet you at your house? Nah, man. Come over to my house. Come see, come see my backyard, man. It's a nice backyard. Hey, can you pick me up? Cool. And you, you, you know what's wild? As embarrassing as it was, my wife was a trooper. I was like, it is what it is. Why? Because we had a plan. We had a vision of this is not forever. This is just for right now. And it's skinny time, so we might as well act skinny. Because when it's fat times, we won't ball out of control. But it's not time for that right now. Here's the problem. We don't want to live skinny in skinny times. We want to pretend like we don't have student loans. We want to pretend like there's not a car note. We want to pretend like we're not drowning in credit card debt. And as they say, keeping up appearances. And... and all these colloquialisms, what you're doing is you're kicking a can down the road because you're going to have to deal with it at some point. And hear me, it only gets more painful as it goes. Pastor, I've got a lot of debt. I mean, I've got like four times my annual income in debt. What do I do? Well, a couple of things you do. You ever heard the saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. I get started. I said, when's the best time to start? Yesterday. But yesterday's gone, so I might as well start today, okay? Let's, huh? Sell everything you can. Sell so many stuff the kids think they're going to end up on eBay. It's just, it's, it's gotta, it's gotta go. It's gotta go. It's gotta, I'm, Pastor, you're meddling. Pastor, I, I need a reliable car. You do. But you know what I realized? The definition of reliable is different for different people. Reliable means does it restart after it dies? Some people are like, no, reliable means I need Apple CarPlay. I need Android Auto. I need this. I need that. I need this. I, I don't want to end up on the side of the road. Do you know the quality time you can have with God? As you sit on the side of the road waiting for AAA to pick you up, we want to live fat when the money's skinny. And then wonder why. Okay, stop meddling, Pastor. It's my job. Last thing is this. Write this down. Truly believe that less is more. Got to truly believe Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20 says this, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. The wise have wealth and luxury. I love God's word. Do you love God's word? He said the wise have wealth and luxury. What does that mean? It means stuff aren't bad. It means having things that I don't need, I just want, is not sinful. Actually, it is of God. He said he will give you the desires of your heart. There's nothing wrong with that purse. There's nothing wrong with that car that was made in Germany. There's nothing wrong with those shoes. There's nothing wrong with that Jew. There's nothing wrong. Watch this. God wants you to have it at the right 
time. But what... We're there already. Can we just go there? But what happens is we've got this picture that we got from Instagram, from TikTok, from Facebook, or from how our parents currently live, even though they're 40, 50 years ahead of us. And we've got this picture of what we want our lives to look like. But you know what I noticed about Instagram? There's not a lot of videos of how they got there. There's a lot of videos of where they are now, but there's not a lot of videos of how they got there. I love going over to my dad's house and Thanksgiving dinner and to see the land and the house and the property and all that other good stuff. But you know what? I'm too young to remember when they were in an apartment struggling and saving to make sure that 40 years from now they can have that. And we want to skip. We want to skip steps. And we want to jump right to the purse, right to the shoes, right to the car, right to the vacation in Cabo and miss the part of, no, I've got to first pay off this debt. I've got to first have a plan. I've got to first know. And, and, and here's the issue. We haven't wrestled with contentment. We haven't wrestled with the reality of do I want more or do I need more? to feel happier about life. Pastor, get out of my face. I'm not in your face. But if your face is here, there are a bunch of different scenarios. One scenario is, Pastor, I didn't set myself up like this. My parents stole my identity before I was even old enough to know what was going on and trashed my credit before I even got out of high school. I didn't know the debt that I was signing up for. They just told me, if you want to go to college, sign here. And I signed. I had no idea. And now I'm in this position. Pastor, I didn't know that that sickness was coming, but I had to live and I had to eat and I had to keep the lights on. So I used a credit card and and I, I didn't mean to get here. It's not fair that I'm here. Here's what I've discovered. We serve a God that will rescue you out of a pit. It doesn't matter if you put yourself in that pit. It doesn't matter if somebody else puts you in that pit. God will rescue you out. Somebody say amen. But he will not rescue you out opposite to his principles. And some of us are on the bottom of a pit digging deeper. God is saying, I've got wisdom, I've got direction, I've even got miracles for you. I'm believing in supernatural debt cancellation. Crickets, it's quiet up in here. You know why? Because everybody's believing in supernatural debt. And guess what? I pray it comes to you. But if God cancels your debt, Without you learning the principles of stewardship, you will dig the same ditch that he just pulled you out of. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 says this, I have learned. I love Paul's honesty. He said, I didn't know how I had to learn. He said, I wasn't always here. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing Or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it is with a full stomach or an empty. With plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ. Now when we read this verse. We say I can do everything through Christ. His supernatural strength. Do you know that this is supernatural? And it's strength. And doing things through Christ. Is not just waiting for him to come and do it for us. Sometimes it's applying his principles to our lives. I need a budget. I need to get out of debt. And then here's the last thing. After I've dealt with my debt, I need to save before I spend. 
Think, think about it. You have all this abundance and Joseph is just stacking it away, stacking it away. So, well, do you think he was, it's not fair. I can't live my life. I can't have any grain. I, no, he was excited because he knew a famine is coming. And when that famine is coming, it's not going to bother me at all because I've been prepared for this. This is my moment. Here's what we do. The, 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 the economic world calls it lifestyle creep. That when my income increases, my spending increases. No, no, no. When your income increases, leave your spending where it is and increase your savings. So a couple of things I need to save for. I need to save for an emergency. I need three to six months worth of my income stashed away in a bank account that I don't touch when I need to get my hair done. Uh-oh. It's not, oh, I want to wrap my car. That's wrap. No, it is. And what's an emergency? Something that I did not see coming. Do you know how you sleep better at night when you're not waiting on the next paycheck to pay the next bill? Do you know how when your boss calls you into the office and says, I need to meet with you, your shoulders are a little bit different? And your head is at a different height when you've got six months of income in the bank as opposed to, I hope this is not the conversation that I don't want to hear. You need savings. First thing is emerging. Second thing is this, save for retirement. Here's a thought. Don't have fun today until you secure tomorrow. Don't ball out of control today until you make sure you can ball out of control tomorrow. I've got to make sure that I am saving for, I wish I had time to tell you about how if you put $100 in an account from the age 25 to 65, it would be over a million dollars by the time you are 65. If I wait until I'm 30, that has to be over $310 to hit that same million dollars. If I wait until I'm 40, it has to be $2,000. If I have to wait until I'm 55, it has to be $3,500 to hit the same million dollars. Pastor, this is depressing because I'm 56. Hey, so let's get started today. Wish we'd started yesterday, but hey, yesterday's gone. Today is today. Let's get started today. And after I'm saying, here's the last thing I need to save for. I need to save for what I'm spending. Guess what? That car you're driving it's going to die. Pastor, I just bought it. I know. But they make it like that on purpose. It's going to give up the ghost. You're going to need another. So watch. Start saving. Pastor, I can't pay for a car cash. Why not? Huh? You can save $5,000 this year. And you can save $5,000 next year. And your car got a four-year lifespan on it. So four years from now, you'll have $20,000. And guess what? Between trading in the junker that you have and the twenty k that you have, guess what you can do? You can pay cash for that car. Guess what? Kids go to college unless they go to the league and then they pay for your life. But even in the NFL, they got to go to college for at least a year. So it's safe. Because if I start when they're 18 months, it's little. If I start when they're 18 years, it's too late. Hey, can I mess with you? How about you pay off your house? Nobody pays off your house. Can I give you a little secret? There are little spies all in Union Church that are sneaking around with paid off houses. And they don't want nobody to know because they think you're going to ask them for money. But <laughs> is your house paid off? No, who's asking? I... <laughs> what? Who said you can't? Here's the problem when you have an economist for a pastor. Because they say, well, pastor, I'm not going to pay off my house because it's a tax savings. When I have, have, a, have a house, I could get a tax break on my house. So let's just talk about that for half a second. I'm read the last part verse, and then I'm going to do it. You are going to save $13,000 of taxes and pay $22,000 of interest payments? Guess what? You lost nine grand. That's bad math. I'm paying interest to not pay taxes? That's like sixth grade math. Mind your business, Pastor. I know, but okay, here we go. Luke chapter 16, verse 11. Go ahead, play these keys. I'm going to land this plane. I'm done. And if you are trustworthy about worldly wealth, 
Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? One more time. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? I stumbled across this verse somewhere between 19 and 20. And it completely changed how I viewed money. This is God speaking. And he says, if I can't trust you with earthly money, how can I trust you with what I really value? And maybe you've never thought about this because I hadn't up to this point. God's watching how I manage my money. And he's not just watching how I manage my money to see if I'm responsible or not. He's watching how I manage my money because he wants to give me part of his kingdom. What's true riches? There's only one thing God cares about, souls. People. God wants to entrust unbelievers, new believers, and people that are growing in Christ to me. But God says, I'm not giving my kid to a bad steward. So let me give you a test to see, it's kind of like, come on, come on, new parents. Remember when you go to little, little birthing classes and they give you that dumb little naked doll and they're like, put a diaper on a doll and you feel dumb as I don't know what is a stupid doll and then realize it's a lot harder to swaddle a little plastic. They said, before your newborn comes, let me give you this plastic baby and see if you can swaddle the baby. Because if you can't swallow a plastic baby that's not arms flailing and all this other good stuff, we don't trust you with the real thing. God says, I want to give you new believers. I want to give you people that are looking up to you, that are following you, that are watching. How, but before I do that, hold on. Let me give you money and see how you do with that. And if you can't manage that, and I'm not going to give you my newborn Christian. God is watching us. Yes, to bless us, but to use us in a great way. We've got to be good stewards of what he's entrusted us with. All right, check on your neighbor. Ask, are they good? You good? You good? You made it? You survived? A little beat up, a little bruised. That's okay. God's good. I have a great future ahead of me. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful. God, for your presence in this place. God, it, it'd be dumb not to acknowledge that life isn't fair. God, some of us have battled sickness that have kept us back financially. Some of us were set up from the beginning. Some of us signed stuff that we didn't know. God, you've got hope, you've got purpose, and God, you've got wisdom. God, I'm praying right now, not for condemnation, but for hope, for God, this is what you've called us to do, to thrive when it comes to our finances. Are we sitting with your eyes closed and your head bowed? If you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. But to be honest with you, every single Sunday, Everything that I preach is completely impossible to do without the power of God in your life. So before I ask you if you budget or plan for the future, what I wanna ask you is, what have you done with your soul? Have you made Jesus the center of your life? Because if you haven't, nothing else matters. And if you have, you've got all the power that you need to build an abundant life. Maybe you're in here and you're like me and you grew up in church. You just never surrendered to the God of the church. Or maybe you're new to this whole church thing and you didn't even know that God wanted an intimate relationship with you. Well, he does. And he's waiting for you to respond. And this is your moment. If you say, Pastor, that's me. I can't say that Christ is the center of my life, but I want him to be right where you're sitting. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for caring Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. In this moment, I surrender. I give you all of me. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church, can you celebrate for every single person?